If you like this episode, please support our podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talco Supremo. Dear Santa John, this year, all I want for Christmas is for you to tell the most brutal, vile, horrific murder story to date. Love, Tiny Tim. <laughs> all right, Timmy. I see you have been quite good this year, so I will oblige your request. Let's see here. Hmm, how about the Vampire of Dusseldorf? Ho, ho, ho. talk murder to me merry christmas merry christmas it's christmas eve santa's coming tonight yeah he is <laughs> uh, so put out them cookies oh god them nice the milk warm and cookies okay all right cookies all right way to turn a family friendly <laughs> holiday into something terrible uh well, we um we're sorry that uh Jen is not here to record with us, guys. She is home in Massachusetts visiting her family. Um we normally try to have her record with us, but it is Christmas Eve that we're actually recording. So a little hard to get folks during the holiday time. So but we're here. And um big shout out to our Taco Supremo Megan. Hey Megan. I have a special segment for you. But I can't do it yet because it's during surprise shot segment and we're not doing surprise shot segment until next week because Jen's not here. Yeah, I can't I can't do the song justice without Jen. So we're just going to have to be Sam's surprise shot today. All right. So what are we doing today? Well, you didn't give me a hint, so I don't really know. If I give you a hint, will you guess? Yeah. Um, Throttling. Throttling. Throttle. Throttle. Isn't throttle have something to do with like planes mostly? I don't know. Do they? Your brother-in-law drives a plane. He flies a plane. Oh, flies a plane. <laughs> flies a jet. Yeah, I guess I guess it's a th- throttle. Um, well, they're like throttle, clutch. Like I feel like all those words go together. So I don't know if it's a car thing as well. I guess most podcasts out there would do Christmas kind of happy stories. Yeah. I didn't really get that memo. And instead... Well, this is also a murder podcast, so there's not going to be like happy stories. And instead, I want to end the new year with a bang. Explosion? (laughs) (sighs) Uh. All right. All right. So there is a... um, with those two little hints, I'm going to say that there is like a pyrotechnic. Oh, no, the crate. bang isn't. Bang is oh. actually sexual. Yeah. Oh, it's sexual? <laughs> oh. This is oh. Uh, this is really an interesting uh, topic we're going to be talking about tonight. It's a very interesting killer. It is international and mm. it is a two-parter. Huh, international, say. Are we going to Canada? We're not going to Canada. Thank God. <laughs> Sorry, Canada. You just make me sad. We're going to the uh, the little small town of, of Dusseldorf. Germany? In Germany. Hmm. 
We're going to be talking about the vampire of Dusseldorf. Ooh. If he's anything like the vampire of Sacramento, I'm in for a real treat this morning. A uh, little more than 10 victims. He's a serial killer. He's a sadist. Mm. And he his method of killing, stabbing with knives, hammers, axes. Mm. Oh. So we're going to the late 1920s. So 1929 mm. is basically when he had his spree, his killing spree. And... I don't really know how to s- describe this guy other than Jen picked a really good episode not to be on because if I had to compare this guy with another killer we've done, I would probably compare him to Pee Wee Gaskins. Oh, shit. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. It's really bad. And the the great thing about this story is he also has an a tell-all. That he wrote before he got executed. I thought tonight we'd start with one of the quotes that he had right before he got executed because he went to the guillotine. Guillotine. The guillotine. And Peter Curtin, the vampire of Dusseldorf, really wanted to know what, what it would sound like, the sound, the audible sound of his own blood squirting out of his neck when the guillotine cuts him. Uh, (laughs) And he was uh, wondering if he would be able to have a millisecond before the lights went off. To to hear hear it? it. Yeah. I'm putting all these pictures on talkmer.com. There's actually a picture of it. Oh, my God. And this is it. So go to talkmer.com to see his head. Oh, my God. Why would they do that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is Peter Curtin, and there's his head. Also, his name is kind of a letdown for a serial killer. I'm just going to say Peter Curtin. Well, not. It's K-U-R. Oh, okay. That sounds German. E-T-E-N. Curtin. I was just thinking of, like, the drapes. Look at his head. It's straight down the middle. So how do... So is that in Wisconsin? It's in Wisconsin now? Yeah. So it's in a museum there. And if you see the head is actually cut straight down the middle, it's kind of crazy Why how accurate it was. Cut it down the middle like that. So they didn't even cut, they did not cut it at the neck at the guillotine. They just I don't know. I think they may have cut it on the neck in the and guillotine. And then sliced yeah. it. The execution episode is tomorrow. This is a very oh, large story. For Christmas. Yeah, this is a very large story. So, um, so I'll be able to tell you about that tomorrow. Here's a very interesting paper right here I found. This is from the Detroit Free Press, January 26, 1930. But now this is before they caught Peter Curtin. Mm-hmm. It was basically another Jack the Ripper case. Oh. 19 baffling Ripper murders by the jeering egomaniac of Dusseldorf. Now, Hmm. this paper is actually before they caught him. So you can see the first paragraph here in this paper says, not since the days when Jack the Ripper was on the rampage has a whole community been thrown into a state of panic-ridden tension over a fiend's outrages that obtains in Dusseldorf. Hmm. 
So you can see that everyone was fucking freaking out. Now, this guy actually did come forward and confess everything, and he wrote a tell-all book. Well, a, So they didn't, wouldn't have probably wouldn't have caught him otherwise. Well, they, they caught him because... They caught him because he was not choosing his victims right and stuff like that. They they caught him relatively easy. Oh, really? Once they started looking for him. I'm yeah. kind of surprised because in the 20s, there's no DNA evidence. So people can get, like, literally get away with murder very much more easily than they could today. Yeah. The great thing about this uh, story is a professor actually interviewed him extensively and Peter Curtin's request, if you read the book, which I'll upload to talkmore.com, um, I'm surprised this book isn't banned because it's really horrific. Hmm. But the professor actually promised him that they would never release. If you read in the book, Peter Curtin's request was never to release this information to the public. And I, I imagine the professor did leak it out and that's why we have it today and it's it's very personal and it's extremely gruesome hmm. and like i said it's uh basically him telling the uh, complete truth about everything that he did if you want to read this this is from the detroit free press january 28th 1930 why does this creature which can have little human in its nature delight in leaving a wake of blood through a peaceful town no one knows this was right before they caught him, and the tension was insane in the small town of Dusseldorf because it didn't matter what age you were or, as you'll see, what sex, you had to watch your back. Um, and the age ranges from five, mm. the age of five, to 45. So it's wow. a very wide range, and there's actually a male victim as well. Which makes it that much more surprising that they caught him unless he, maybe he was related or knew the people. So Peter Curtin is a sadist. So do you know what a sadist is? Sadist is he likes to inflict, he gets pleasure, sexual pleasure out of inflicting harm on others. Yeah, that's exactly right. Very Thank good. Thank you. We've yeah. certainly done a lot of crimes. <laughs> that's fucking creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like verbatim in the, yeah, that's that, in literally the dictionary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so um, if you read this book, which I recommend for any true crime aficionado out there, this it describes the mind of a sadist so well because it's so much different than someone just killing for, you know, sexual gratification or someone trying to, you know, have sex or rape or something like that. It's completely different. The The mindset is basically he only gets sexual gratification if he hurts or kill. basically if he sees a victim in pain. So if I was to describe this story, I would say Pee Wee Gaskins as in, gr as in the brutalness and the gruesomeness, as Nicole will be reading a lot tonight. Joy. And, and also Sylvester, and I can't remember his last name, the bomb, the train bomber, mm, mm -hmm. the blippy train bomber. Matuska. You know, Matuska. So you remember he actually got sexual gratification from seeing mass uh, casualties right. and catastrophes of a train being derailed. And there was semen found at one, you know, at the train crashings. In these little rags. 
So he was getting off seeing this. And it's I will the same not thing. forget that quote from that new. It was in that episode somewhere where someone said, like, make sure when you see a there's they, they we don't know the numbers that they exist. But if you see someone rubbernecking with and you don't see their hands. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. What was that from? I don't know. All right. So Peter Curtin, this is him. That's how he spells his name. K-U. Looks like a pretty normal dude. K-U-R-T-E-N. Yeah, actually, he was, I guess, very attractive because he had a lot of girlfriends. Huh. And in fact, most of the victims were his girlfriends. How old was he at the or at this time period? Okay, so he was actually born May 26, 1883, and this... So he's 40? Yeah, so 29... Um, nine, or 18, 1929 is when he started really killing people. And it was just a year straight spree, you know. Huh. And he killed 10. He killed, well, he could have killed a lot more, but what we're thinking is about 10, yeah, because he did tell everything and he had nothing, he had no incentive not to hide bodies. I mean, he knew he was getting executed. So, hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. A lot of serial killers are like this. Like Ted Bundy is like this too. Like when they kill for sexual gratification, they don't want to admit it. They don't want to admit they're raping victims and stuff like that. And this guy was the same way Mm -hmm. at first, but eventually he just basically said, fuck it and did a full expose. And he is, I mean, he was kind of infamous. I mean, he was basically the Jack Ripper of the time period. And if, you know, it's interesting if he wouldn't have gotten caught. Yeah, this would have been a very interesting Jack the Ripper type of case, and I it could have been more famous, I believe, than Jack the Ripper if he mm. wouldn't have got caught. Oh yeah. But anyway, let's get started if you want to. Um, so episode one, we're going to be going over uh, one really gruesome murder. I'm also going to be talking about his childhood growing up and kind of how he got his start being such a sadist. Then we're going to talk about um, how he sort of fits into the McDonald triad, which is wetting the bed, wetting the bed, um, uh, cruelty to animals, uh-huh. and um, arson. Yep. Yes. So oh my god, I'm just getting so good at serial killer stuff. Now, but when in the 30s, when this guy was doing his tell-all of his crimes, the McDonald triad didn't exist. So no one really asked him if he wet the bed when he was young. But So that's the only one we don't know for sure. But you can probably imagine he did because he did fit the arson and he does fit the animal cruelty. Man, how creepy would it be if like you had a child and they exhibited all three of those things? Like Knowing all this stuff now, I'd freak the fuck out. Yeah. I mean, I only... Exhibited arson. That's good. <laughs> Wait, holy shit. We would like light trash cans on fire at my school. We did a lot of other <laughs> shitty things. I know. All right. I'm taking you right now to uh, the 9th of February, 9 a.m. at 1929. And you're not going to like this. Let me show you the picture of the victim. Oh, it's a child. It's a child. Yeah. So uh, this is the second murder, actually. Her name is Rosa Oliger, O-H-L-I-G-E-R. She's eight years old. Uh. Now, uh, go to talkmar.com to see all these photos because you need to uh, paint a good picture. And plus, you don't want to miss that severed head. So be sure to go to talkmar.com. 
The book that we're reading from tonight is called The Sadist. And it's a fantastic book, and it's also in the public domain, which means it's free hmm. if you can find a uh, a good copy. And I do have a good copy on talkmore.com, so be sure to go download it. Wait, is Sadist his book, the one that he wrote? No, it's... That's a good question. So this is actually written by Carl Berg. He's a MD, and I'm going to read from the book here. Sometime professor of forensic medicine in the Dusseldorf Medical Academy. He's also the founder and medical director of the Dusseldorf Institute of Legal and Social Medicines, um, medico legal officer of the Dusseldorf Criminal Court. And obviously he's long gone now because this was written in 1932. But he was a professor, and if you read the book, which is a fantastic book, you'll hear Peter Curtin refer to him as professor all the time. Professor, professor, professor. So it's like a one-on-one interview. So he's basically writing verbatim what Peter Curtin says. Now, if you want to read this, Nicole, this is actually from the Miami News. This was... There's a few pa- there's a few papers over here that did pick up this story. Now at the time it was not in English, it was in German obviously. So they had to translate it, but this is from the Miami News Sunday August 17th, 1930. But 5 days later, some boys on the prowl unearthed the charred body of Rosa Olinger, who had failed to return from home from school. The corpse had been casually deposited behind a high fence on the vacant lot. Murder had been done, but not by fire. In the little girl's torso were telltale stabs made with sharp pointed in, made with a sharp pointed instrument. Of clues, there were none. All right, so workers found the body of an eight year old girl. Now, in in the book, it actually claims she was under a hedge, but in this paper, it says she was beyond a high fence. Probably both. She was completely clothed. Now, this is an eight year old girl, completely clothed. But her clothing was partially burnt, and we're going to get into that in a minute. The underclothing was completely singed with fire. It was burnt completely. The body smelled strongly of petroleum. Blood stains from multiple wounds to the breast were through the clothing. So they're saying murder had been done but not by fire, so that so there was the 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 arson piece was done after. Exactly. It's almost like, and this is really what happened. Someone came back, this guy, Peter Curtin, and he lit the body on fire almost to get rid of the evidence. On the inner part of the knickers near the external genitalia were were two small blood stains. Microscopic examination revealed that the presence thereabouts of seminal fluid. In the vagina, there was seminal fluid which had flowed from a wound one centimeter inch in length at the entrance of the vaginal cavity. Okay, now keep that in mind. There's a wound one centimeter, and she's also eight years old. Okay, but there's almost a deliberate cut in her vagina. Okay, keep that in mind. The neck and chin was blackened and discolored. Hair on her head was black, and what the uh, papers referred to as charred mass. In some places, the hair was completely burnt off. Her left breast had 13 stab wounds in a section about the size of a fist. In the military, when you you shoot like a rifle at a target, you call that grouping, where, where 
the uh, the bullets are so close together that they form, form a little group, and then you can further tweak your rifle to group them down even further and further. The reason I'm saying that is because they actually use the terminology grouping hmm. in here. But Interesting. So, so they were precise and they were grouped. What, what does that mean? The child had to be unconscious, right? She can't be squirming around mm-hmm. to have such precise. Uh, yeah, yeah. So she has to be at least unconscious or maybe even dead, you know, for him yeah. to completely stab in the same sections. Good point. Yeah. Case 46, the murder of the Olander child. Curtin's account. On the 8th of February, 1929, I left home about six o'clock at night. I went toward St. Vincent's Church, where I met a girl between 8 and 10 years of age. I asked her where she wanted to go. She said, home. I asked, where do you live? She said, in the Langerstrasse. I said, come on then, I'll take you. He goes on to say, here I seized the child's throat, strangled her, and put her on her back. With my right hand, I drew the scissors out and stabbed the child in the left temple— And you saw the illustration of the temple stabs and in different places about the heart. The child seemed to be dead. So in some ways, it makes me feel a little bit better that she was probably dead when after when he sexually assaulted her. All right. Now, this is what he says. This is from the sadist. I didn't have sexual intercourse with the child. It wasn't necessary because I had already ejaculated. The reaction had already set in while I was throttling Ollinger, but not ejaculation. It was only while I was stabbing her that the excitement ended in ejaculation. I had my member out and ejaculated without an erection, which is much nicer. What? You can do that? You're going to be reading a lot of cases where he just... You can ejaculate without your dick being hard? Yeah, I guess if you're a sadist... If you read this book, which you're going to be reading a lot. <laughs> Sorry, that was a question directed at you. Is that something that's like... I didn't know you could, but apparently you can. Because he would stab someone and basically have an orgasm. It's fucking insane. But the, the last sentence of that is, I ha- which I like the word member. I love that word. <laughs> God, <laughs> I, like- <laughs> just, I hate that word. The yeah. robbing member. I love oh, that word. gross. That and moist. moist. I don't mind the word moist. Because sometimes, like, there's nothing else that should describe a cake, you know? Yeah, but, but women hate that word, moist. I don't I don't hate it. I actually don't like the word panties, though. I really don't. That's my favorite that word. word. I thought you said moist was your favorite word. No, I like the word panties when it's said really sexy. My panties. Yeah. Like that girl from, um... um oh, what girl w- says <laughs> really sexy. From the Wolf of Wall Street when she says, in my panties. Oh, yeah. Anyway... Um, (laughs) it also says I had my member out and ejaculated without erection, which is much nicer, which is much nicer. It's kind of crazy. Five of the wounds had penetrated the heart. Three had pierced the left and right. Pluri. Pluri. Three had penetrated the liver. In the pleural cavities, I found 750 cc of blood. Death must have been swift through the internal hemorrhage. You'll hear the word throttle a lot in this episode, and if you read the book, you'll soon understand it doesn't mean just getting on top of someone like you think, like maybe uh, being over top of a woman and just having like your knees pushed out so she can't get out. Throttling in this book is choking, 
Oh. That is what he means when he says throttling. So when you see something and you when you read something that says, I was throttling her, he's basically mean he's choking her to death. Oh. Yeah, just to let you know. Go ahead. When I was throttling the child, I inserted my middle finger into the vagina. I pulled down the little knickers a bit and later on rearranged them. But I did not feel anything. Only when I took the scissors and stabbed, I had an ejaculation. In the... In the handling of the child, I might have introduced some seminal fluid with my finger, which he found later on. That was the first case. You can start to see the sadist mentality. He is getting off. And he's like, he's a pedophile. Yeah. Well, he's he's actually having an orgasm, not because he's raping a woman, you know, or or a child, child, but he's stabbing them. As, as you see right there, only when I took the scissors and stabbed, I had an ejaculation. If you want to really know what a sadist is, this is the best case, I believe, that's out there. Because the mindset, like, he can ejaculate without an erection and only when he's doing physical harm. That's why I told you earlier to remember, you know, the child's vagina had a tear in it. It's because he tore it. Yeah. Because it would pay. It was painful to her. Right. Exactly. Right. So he's only Ugh. he's only ejaculating and having an orgasm when the victim is in excruciating pain. Not when they're dead. When they're dead, he doesn't care. Right. Only when they're having, you know, this excruciating pain. That's very important. I'm trying to like really drive that home. Doing a good job. <laughs> All right, there was a congestion of blood found in the head. She suffered forcible strangulation, that is throttling. No finger wounds are found on the child's neck, so he must have used a cloth or something. We're going to get into what he used, and it's fucking crazy. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about survivor stories, because there are plenty of survivors. And how he would start his attacks will really shock you. And... He used what he used on this child. It's fucking crazy. So wait to the next episode for that. Now, Rosa Oliger, her mother, said her daughter was at home and eating sauerkraut. It's like a German thing, right? Mm-hmm. At 2 p.m., she goes to visit a friend, but at 6 p.m., she leaves, and she takes a shortcut through this little footpath, and her death must have occurred between 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. that evening. The condition of the genitals revealed an injury of little consequence on the mucous membrane of the vagina. The hymen was torn about one centimeter. Only slight traces of seminal fluid were found on the child's underclothing. It was clear that an ejaculation could not have taken place into the vagina. It really uh, complements what Peter Curtin, his actual story is too. You know, he didn't actually insert it inside of her, right? But he did tear her hymen. Okay, and with a knife, I think, right? Yeah, with a knife or something, or scissors. Yeah, and what is a hymen? Should I know that? So the hymen is is that like the uh, like a ball or something? No, it's a it's a it's tissue that tears when you use like it. It can tear from like horseback riding and stuff like that, but usually it's torn when you're the first time that you have oh, sex shit. when you pop your cherry. Is um, that what um it's when you it, you might bleed a little bit? That's what um sex. that uh one of my old time favorite rappers Ti 
He was in the news for that because yes, remember he, gets, he was checking his daughter's hymen. Oh my god! What do you think about that? I think that's pretty fucked up because you, think you so? because it can tear for, from other things too. He got in big shit because of that. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean that's also a huge invasion of his daughter's privacy. Like that's really and that's just fucking creepy. That is kind of creepy, dude. That's her like, personal no health information. Yeah, that's kind of creepy, man. Yeah. Like, I, I tried to have your back just now, but now that I really think about it, it's kind of creepy, dude. <laughs> I mean, you're a yeah. good rapper, but yeah. kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's when you cherry pop. Like it's just really that's, weird that's... now that I think about it. Yeah. Like, why would he care <laughs> oh, that much? Shit. I mean, I get it. He's a protective dad. I get it. Yeah. From that that's where I was going to come from. I was but like, this guy is, yeah, doing the right thing. That's... But now that you said it like that, I was like, well, this dude's a fucking creep. <laughs> yeah. Who would, what dad would go to his shit. daughter's OBGYN? Yeah. Fucking weird. Wait, so the OBIGYN, OBIGYN, he told him, right? Which I don't know if they're allowed to do. I don't think they're allowed to do. I mean, maybe they can if she's under 18, but I'm pretty sure that's a violation of HIPAA. You haven't put out a fucking album forever either. Let's talk about that. Anyway, here we go. I did like TI. I did too. I now directed Curtin's attention to the burning. That, of course, I did not do to destroy the body by fire. I got sexual excitement in doing it but no ejaculation the following morning at nine o'clock i returned once more when she had been found i then saw the officials and the crowd of people and i nearly had an ejaculation but not quite yeah (laughs) so seeing the crowd of the people just like that sylvester guy right (laughs) Uh, such a weirdo so uh, all right so you got enough of that right you understand that murder oh yes All right, let me talk about his childhood growing up. He was born on May 26, 1883. He was born in in Cologne. He was a pretty decent student. His father was a sand molder, okay? And his father was also very abusive, and he was an... Arsonist? Bedwetter. Alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Oh, I thought we were talking about the kid. No, No. (laughs) the father. The father was a motor, a sand motor. He was uh, alcoholic and abusive. Now, sexually or just physically? Um, uh, I wouldn't say sexually, but he did have incestual relationships with his daughter. Oh shit! Yeah, so So that's. That's a well. He sexually abused his daughter, then. Yeah, but not Peter Curtin, or maybe he did. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. But he, his daughter, but his daughter, he sexually abused his daughter. Yeah, exactly. Peter's sister. Yeah, we know that for sure. All right. So Peter Curtin's first criminal offense was at the age of sixteen. Now he has four criminal offenses. <laughs> what? I was gonna say it sounds like you. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like me. Yeah, but the thing is, I never got caught. Well, I got caught once. Well, twice. <laughs> Arrested once. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. He is like me. <laughs> uh, Just kidding. Hopefully he's not at all. Yeah, mostly theft, but he did confess to four arsons in 1904. In 1905, he was locked up until 1913. In 1913, he was set free but then he ends back up in prison for another seven years and after that he kind of cleans himself up and moves to dusseldorf in 1925 where this whole thing unravels right and most of the rapes and murders started in 1929 and they were in very quick succession some Mm. some in the same day oh wow so when you read from the book earlier it said case 46 
Did you see that? There are 70 or I think it was like 76 or 80 cases, but not all of them resulted in death. And we're going to talk about this a little bit on the next episode. But he would literally walk up to someone on the street and stab them with some some scissors and then fucking book it. Oh. Crazy shit. So that's why I was like, why is, I mean, 10 murders every day. Like, how can that, you know, that didn't quite compute. So that makes more sense. And you know what that reminds me of? What? And I never, I haven't thought about this until just now, but there was a video of two parents walking with their children and a random woman comes up and stabs one of the kids in the eye. And this is on CCTV. And the kid lived, but this random woman just came up and just stabbed him in the eye and then ran off. And she was never caught. I don't believe she was caught. Oh, my God. Have you seen that? No. Here, let me show you. It's crazy. I don't I don't. You don't want to see, see it? But yeah, and it, I didn't think about that until just now, but maybe she has, maybe that woman that did that is a sadist. Because it was just so random. I mean, the parents didn't even know that it happened. It was so quick. She just walks up and just stabs them right in the eye and then just runs off. And by the time the parents know, by the time the parents knew what was going on, she was long gone. And their kid was like, you know, about to die. But he lived. But, you know, it's crazy. That is crazy. All right. So the father, as I said, was a sand molder. He was also very egotistical. He was a drunkard with numerous children. And um, a little bit from the sadist. Even today, he impressed the examining magistrate, this is the father we're talking about, by his self-possession. His observations sometimes revealed humor and irony coupled with an intense irascibility. What's that word mean? I haven't heard that one before. His manner of speech at his examination was abrupt and self-possessed. To sum up, he was formerly a heavy drinker, irascible and violent, and on that several a time and on that account several times in prison. Sexually uncontrolled, he had him he had been imprisoned for incest with his eldest daughter, a sentence of eighteen months penal servitude in eighteen ninety seven. Yeah, so that's fucking crazy. Now, Peter Curtin had 10 brothers and sisters. They were in poverty, but not because his dad didn't have a good job, but all the wages go to alcohol. So you can barely feed the children. Mm. Now, he was very badly abused and would run away from home often for weeks on end and hide in the woods and sometimes in school buildings until he got caught. And he would steal money from women and even children while he was running away, living in the woods so he can feed himself. Mm. That kind of leads up to his criminal uh, behavior. Uh, Peter Curtin stole money. So... When he was 16, he gets an apprenticeship at his dad's factory. Now, this was when his dad was in prison um, for the incest. So when he gets back, his dad's there, and like Peter Curtin is an apprentice for a, a for this molder company. Mm-hmm. And eventually, at 16, he steals money from the company and never returns home again because he's wanted, obviously. Wow. Now... Um, Going back to when Peter Curtin was nine years old, he was living next to a dog catcher. Now, this is kind of crazy, but the dog catcher taught Peter at a very young age of nine some very not good things. For instance, Peter eventually realized that he liked to cut off the head of the dog 
to oh. enjoy the blood rushing from the neck. And that's when this is the first times that he's not only seeing that he likes it, but he's seeing that it's more of a sexual thing. I mean, because he's going through puberty and that's about the time you start figuring some stuff out with your wiener and stuff. So <laughs> like he's actually starting to see that it's this uh, mutilation and this violence is linked to his sexuality. I watched this frequently and enjoyed it. I was I was then nine years old. This dog catcher also showed me how you make the dogs attached to you, taught me how to play with a dog's genitals until it ejaculated. An animal like that can't be beaten away. Oh, my God. He, around this time, he started his cruelty to animals. You have asked me when I first detected in myself a tendency to cruelty. Well, that goes back decades. When I was a child, I did not torture animals, at least not more than other boys do. Isn't that crazy? Yes. <laughs> at least not more than other boys. On that same page, he goes to describe, quote, I used to stab sheep, for instance, what? that were grazing on the Grafenberger Meadows. When I did that, I realized that it gave me an, an, an agreeable feeling, but without any ejaculation. Okay, this is when he was like nine years old. I still have a scar on my finger where a squirrel once fastened his teeth on me. I had to compress his neck to let him, to make him go. And handling it like that, I had an ejaculation, although only a boy of 14. So there, there's that link there that mm -hmm. most people don't have, right? So like, uh, no, most people like sex because it feels good. Well, somewhere in between, if you, if you definitely grow up in a violent childhood and you live next to a dog catcher that's cutting heads off of dogs and stuff like that then somewhere in there you develop a link between sex and violence and it gets freaking linked in together and that is a bad combination right there yeah agreed and and that's why you have a guy like this it's fucking awful i think this is nurture and not nature but you know yeah i i think that with a lot of the cases that we cover like i said this episode is kind of easy i'm letting you in easy the next episode oh, is not going to be so easy it is going to be murder, 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 murder. But I want to show you the background and kind of develop the MO on this episode. So the violence gets linked to sex, and then you have this. I saw my parents have sexual relations. Of course, I soon decided that I would try for myself. I began first with the schoolgirl and got as far as contact with the naked body, but not to proper intercourse as the girl resisted and moved about too much. It was this way that occurred to me to try it with animals. Oh, I went to my neighborhood stables where it was easy for me to get in. I actually did have intercourse with female animals, and I did actually force my member into the animal. Oh, then later, I thought Jesus. no more of it. It was only a temporary thing at about the age of 13. That's just temporary. But then he starts developing this, like I said, this link, and here you go. It was in my 13th year that for the first time I secured a complete orgasm by wounding. I attempted sexual intercourse with the sheep. Whether it succeeded or the sheep would not keep still, I forget. I stabbed the sheep at the mo and at that moment ejaculated. I repeated that frequently for two or three years. So yeah, it's natural. He's not like touching himself, which is fucking crazy. Well, and this time he, oh yeah, he was I mean, going he's to stabbing have sex. And it's he just was like, attempting to have sexual intercourse with the sheep. So yeah, he's but it like didn't kind work. of getting him, trying to get himself worked up to go have sex. But it's not working. Kills the sheep instead and ejaculates 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's getting, he's like all randy, ready to have sex with the sheep, tries to do it. And it doesn't insta- work. Yeah. Instead kills it. But it's interesting that he can ejaculate without having a heart on. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's medical phenomena. There. <laughs> <laughs> Between February and November 1929 was when his intense killing spree went on, but there was actually three cases in February. And this one is the Frau Kuhn case. Case 45, Frau Kuhn. Curtin states as follows. On a Sunday evening, I strolled about the neighborhood of the Hellweg in search of a victim. I had pocketed a pair of scissors for this purpose. Toward six o'clock, I saw a woman going along the Bertross. I went up to, I went up to her and shouted, stop, and then no noise. Then with the scissors, I stabbed her blindly. I left her lying unconscious. I heard cries for help and made my way quickly, quickly down the Hellweg. When I was cleaning the scissors at home, I noticed from the blade that the pointed part had been broken off about 8 to 10 millimeters. So that was February 3rd, 1929. And um, it goes on to say, the man overtook her, bid her, quote, good evening, gripped her by the lapels of her coat. With the other hand, he stabbed her. The woman fell back and screamed for help and the criminal made off. Now, this is one of the random attacks. As I said, there's like 70 cases altogether, but only 10 murders. He would literally go up and stab someone and then... He would ejaculate when he stabbed someone. It's crazy. Bizarre. You know what I'm saying? And then he would run. And then he would come back to the crime scene when all the cops and all the excitement's going on and ejaculate again. That's basically his MO. Now, she had 24 flesh wounds on her head, waist, and arms. A flesh wound? Yeah. And it was in rapid succession. He actually did harm a male victim and this shows you that it's not a gender thing. It's not him trying to have sex. It's just the the hurting, hmm. if you want to read this. I was scoring the Hellweg for a victim. I saw a man coming along. I thought, that's a suitable subject. Not a soul had been, not a soul to be seen anywhere. The man was staggering. He bumped into me. He was drunk. I stabbed him with the scissors. At the first stab in the temple, he fell down. Then at once I got sexual excitement, and the more I stabbed, the more intense it became. I gave him a severe stab in the neck, and I heard distinctly the faint gushing of his blood. That was the climax. Then came the ejaculation. So now does it make more sense at the beginning when I said, um, you know, I want to hear my own blood rushing out of my neck? It would be like the ultimate climax yeah, for him. because he's getting his head cut off. And, and he's like hoping he could ejaculate once just more. Just one more time to go off into oblivion. Also, he used, <laughs> we, we're using a lot of technical. He um, climaxes right to the pearly gates. <laughs> he better not be going there. He rides that white seminal fluid all the way up to- To hell. St. John. To hell. <laughs> to hell. You're he, forgetting where he says to He go. drowns out all the flames with this seminal fluid. All right. The following morning, when I went back, the murder commission was there. Then I enjoyed another ejaculation, despite the intense cold. As you know, it was horribly cold at that time, yet I was not conscious of it, though I... <laughs> though He's I had, like making excuses <laughs> for his small yeah. penis. <laughs> <laughs> yet I was not conscious of it, though I had on a very thin coat. <laughs> uh, uh. All right, so talk a, 
to talk a little bit about the M.O. He always at at first he always denied it was sexual. And as you see, it wasn't it's totally sexual, though. It is, but it's not. But like not for the fact. Yeah, yeah, it's sexual so that it's so that he can get off. Exactly. So here's what he says. Quote. I always had a constant desire. You will call it the urge to kill and the more the better. Yes. If I had had the means, I would have killed masses. I would have caused catastrophes. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's pretty fucking ominous. The sexual urge was strongly developed in me, particularly in the last years, and was stimulated even more by the crimes themselves. For that reason, I was always driven to find a new victim. Sometimes, even when I seized my victim's throat, I had an orgasm. Sometimes not. But then that orgasm came as I stabbed the victim. It was not my intention to get satisfaction by normal sexual intercourse, but by killing. When the victim struggled, she merely stimulated my lust. Okay, so a little bit about the MO before we um, close this episode up. He, he he's, he's a sadist, so he gets his pleasure from pain. Mm-hmm. He kills his victims with either hammer, uh, shears, garden shears, or like an axe or something. And he'll usually hide the body but not completely dispose of it because he goes back to the crime scene to relive that experience again. And he actually in his own words, has an ejaculation just seeing the excitement of the crowd and being there. It's like he's reliving it again. So he's getting a double excitement off that. So he that so when you hear, oh, the killer always returns to the scene of the crime, I mean, that doesn't, not, not really, that hardly ever happens, but in this case, it does, right? I mean, the killer is definitely coming here for sexual satisfaction. Yeah. Um, For instance, he says, quote, that evening I was already in a state of strong sexual excitement. Now, that was this was after one of the the murders I'm going to talk about. Again, the day after the crime, when I visited Flea, F is a city, Flea, and saw the tremendous excitement of people, I ejaculated. I went over and over again to the graves of the victims and returned repeatedly to Mulheim, the grave of Klein and the Stolfer Cemetery. When I fingered the earth of the grave with my hand, I sometimes became sexually excited. When I recalled in the Jesus. memory of the events, I could stay for hours by the grave of Han. But when I had an orgasm on the graves, it was without any act oh on my, my part. God. The great thing was that I was within reach of the achievement of my mission. Oh, my God. He's like jerking it on the grave. But he's not He's <laughs> not touching fuck? himself, he's saying. That's so bad, He's just so able to do it without physical <laughs> That's contact. So up. That's not even... Even Ed Gain wouldn't go that far. <laughs> he's jerking it on the grave. All what right, the there's the headline. Even Ed Gain wouldn't go that far. So, I, like, I didn't even know that was really possible to orgasm without, like, any sort of physical... Yeah, I didn't either. Shit. Well, I guess, yeah. Because that's what a wet dream is, right? Yeah. Yeah, I Uh guess. Curtin, in fact, used two methods to achieve sexual gratification. Either he abandoned from the start of the idea of actual intercourse, and this was in the greater number of cases, the arsons and the simple throttlings. Or he resorted to an attack on the genitals of the victim by uh, by gripping under her skirt or by rough handling of her vulva. Yeah. So I hope you got a good uh, idea of who this guy is. So the next episode, we're going to be going into 
more of the gruesome details of each murder. Um, are you excited? I'm so excited. <laughs> but I wanted you to... What a lovely Christmas story. Yeah, I wanted you to at least know... I wanted you to at least get an idea of who this guy is before we just dive into murders and then you're like, what the fuck? Why is he doing this? Now you kind of know. Well, I've already gotten a good taste. <laughs> Shit. So that's that guy. Um, yeah, we'll and he back. was actually married at the time. And a lot of the victims we'll talk about on the next episode were his girlfriends. They would go out with him. And it's funny because he would always, on the first date, assault them and choke them and throttle them and nearly kill them. And they would still go out with them again. Hmm. And a lot of them ended up being permanent victims. Wow. Yeah. And his wife would actually walk in to the house and he's with one of the women. I mean, she knew that he was cheating on him and all this. It's crazy. We'll get into that next episode. All right. Well, thanks guys for listening to this episode of talk murder to me. Have a Merry Christmas. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our stalker, go to talkmer.com slash join. Become a Talk Us Primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I research it, dedicate it to you on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John. Here with Jen and... Ah! <laughs> my name is John. Here with Jen. Oh! My name is John. Here with Nicole. And until next time, Merry Christmas! Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) Shit on my own titties. That's annoying as tits.